So, all quiet in America, with the exception of the Iowa caucus, of course, but it has been a public holiday over there. In Europe, very soft data is not stopping ECB members from talking about the need to hold off on any rate cuts, particularly if global tensions delay the fall in inflation. We'll look at the wisdom of that today. Plus, China doesn't want to cut their medium-term lending facility. And sprinkling of data today, including Australia's consumer confidence, and from the Fed, the hawk who turned. Christopher Waller is talking tonight. There's going to be a bit of attention paid to that, I think. It's Tuesday, the 16th of January, 2024. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a slight lift in the US dollar is up 0.2%. The Aussie is down 0.4% to 66.6 US cents. That's rather ominous, isn't it? All the sixes. Uh, the euro is flat. The pound is down 0.2%. The Swiss franc down 0.3%. The yen is down 0.6%. US bond yields, well, it is Martin Luther King Day, or it has been. Uh, so bond markets were closed. But futures suggest a three basis point rise for 10 years, up to 3.97%. We did see 10-year yields rising a fair bit in Europe as well, up five in Germany and France, Aussie 10 years are at one basis point yesterday to 4.07%, now five basis points higher than that on futures. Equities, well, again, Martin Luther King Day, but in Europe, they are well down, 0.6% lower for the Eurostox 50, 0.4% lower for the FTSE 100, and S&P futures are down slightly as well in the United States. And oil, well, you might have expected as those Houthi rebels fire a ballistic missile on a container ship in the Red Sea that maybe oil would go up today. But no, it's down 0.2% for Brent, below 78.20 a barrel. WTI is down a third of 1%. Uh, so great to see Sally all back on the podcast this morning from JB Weir in Sydney. Welcome back, Sally. Thank you, Phil. It's really Europe, China and the Middle East, isn't it, really, today? With, it's very quiet in the, the US. But European shares are down. The ECB continuing to pour cold water on the idea of rate cuts anytime soon, even though we learned, as expected, that the German economy contracted by 0.3% last year. We also saw euro area industrial production down 0.3% in November as well, the third fall in a row. So, I mean, normally news like that, you know, that would have central banks, you know, in normal times, central banks would be looking at rate cuts anytime soon, but not this time. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Europe, I guess, you know, was, um, you know, one of those jurisdictions that, that really disappointed last year. So basically stagnating in, in the back half of 2023 and, um, you know, Germany on these preliminary GDP numbers, um, and I think that's the the caveat we want to attach to them, narrowly avoided recession in the second half of last year. So even though growth um, was down in the fourth quarter, it got revised up a touch in the third quarter to be flat. But basically through the calendar year, it was down um, three-tenths of a percent. Um, and it's interesting, you know, when you look at the the sort of forecast for 2024, um, I was looking at the OECD numbers the other day, Germany is only expected to grow six-tenths of a percent in 2024. And that would make it the slowest uh, sort of growth outcome in the G20 bar Argentina, which given everything going on there is not exactly a difficult mm. a difficult benchmark to beat. Mm. No. And even and even that, you mean you talk about it being a technical recession. I mean the fact it was flat, all it takes is to be one decimal point lower and it was in recession, wasn't it? I mean it, you know, it, whichever way, it doesn't really matter whether it's technical Yeah, that's or right. I think we've got to be wary of, not a pretty picture. of false precision with these numbers, especially given that they're preliminary. But yes, it's still quite possible that that, you know, they do record a, a technical recession. But as you said um, that doesn't seem to be um, nudging ECB officials towards wanting to embrace what the market has priced in, which is you know rate cuts starting from April. And we saw governing member 
Holtzman um, last night really pushed back on on the notion of of rate cuts. And, and you know, I do wonder whether you know one of the things that worries officials over there is um, not not dissimilar to some of the dynamics here in Australia where. Um, the economy might be softer, but because of lacklustre productivity growth and pretty decent run rates of nominal wages growth, unit labour costs um, are running at levels that are not consistent with the inflation target, and that that might be what's holding uh, those officials back in Europe. Right, but I mean, is that going to spiral? I mean, I, we are seeing. I mean, it's the same thing in the UK, isn't it? That you've got people pushing to try and get their wages back to where they were mm-hmm. before uh, all of this started, which is sort of understandable it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to keep going yeah and that's that's okay but you need to you need to accompany that with productivity growth um and if you could have both of those things happening at the same time you know as they've broadly managed to do in the us um then you know as we've seen from the shift in central bank rhetoric over there that does open up scope for less restrictive monetary policy but in in those countries whether it's you know, europe the uk or or australia you know my, my sense is that this lack of productivity growth is going to act as a bit of a constraint for some of those central bank officials um yeah. at least in the first half of this year whether you can get i mean it's a circular argument isn't it can you get that productivity growth if you keep interest rates higher so you're stopping mm-hmm. any capital investment so because that's what's mm-hmm. really going to get your productivity down you would have thought but the, the other thing that holtzman is saying as well is that prices could stay higher uh, because of geopolitical threats. And he says, you know, the ECB can't ignore those, like obviously what is happening in the, the in the Red Sea right now. But, I mean, is that a reason to keep rates high? Because that that is a constraint on supply. That is nothing to do with demand. So rates, you'd argue, wouldn't make any difference to that. Yeah, I think in ordinary circumstances, that would be sort of broadly the, the way that central bank officials would look at that situation. But I guess this is all happening at a time where, you know, central banks have worried consistently through the last couple of years about elevated inflation, what that does to inflation expectations and and people's belief in you know central bank inflation targets and the ability of their central bank to to hit those over a reasonable time period. And so anything that sort of delays that return to target or encourages firms and households to believe that you know higher inflation is is going to be with us for longer, I think makes central banks pretty nervous. So, you know, I think ordinarily when rates are at reasonable levels and you do have uh, well-contained inflation and well-behaved inflation expectations, you can afford to look through some of these shorter-term supply constraints or, or issues that might arise, arise but that's not um, the, the circumstances that most central bankers find themselves dealing with at the moment. So, I mean, we can't ignore the Red Sea, can we? Because there's a, there's a piece on Bloomberg just in the last hour or so saying now that insurance costs are basically 1%. So the cost. So if you've got a hundred million dollar vessel traveling through the Red Sea, it's going to cost you a million dollars just in in insurance. And obviously, this is a big slice. Twelve percent of the world's trade passes through the Suez Canal, uh, and this is why you know the one million dollar cost, which is why so much now is going uh, through the you know the southern tip of Africa, uh, with you know the expense that's incurred in that, and also the delays. So I mean, this is this is going to obviously going to have a, an inflationary impact. Yeah, so I think the so it's interesting. So we've got that that story, you know, playing out in the Red Sea and then I think we should also, you know, not forget what's happening in the Panama Canal which, which is also a pretty important shipping route where um effectively the water level is so low that authorities are having to ration the number of ships that can go through there on on any given day and so that's creating sort of delays as well. So, you know, on both sides of the world you you've got these these issues around um, sort of the efficiency of shipping routes. I think my sense would be we need, and you know, all, everything seems to be telling us that this is not going to go away anytime soon. But I think, 
you know, when we try and work out what does this all mean for the outlook for inflation, probably what we need is for these issues to sustain, I would have thought, for at least a month or two. Um, and then I think you could start to get reasonably confident that this is going to filter through to uh, the price of, of, of goods, um, you know, traded goods. And I guess that's been the, you know, the good part of the inflation narrative really through 2023 has been that goods price inflation came off very significantly. Um, and that was, you know, we know supply chains resolved themselves. We had a weaker Chinese currency that was helping. And we also had that shift in consumer demand away from goods and towards services. So all those things created this really sort of favorable set of circumstances to bring goods inflation down, which has really anchored that disinflation we saw in the back half of last year. And I guess what we're talking about with these issues is that, you know, maybe um, if they if they sustain that that goods disinflation story is actually now behind us. And what we have to start to worry about is goods inflation creeping up if we are dealing with higher costs of shipping and delays and, and the like. Um, so again, it's just another one of those issues that if you're a central bank, it just makes you a little bit sort of nervous about, you know, being too convicted in this this idea that you know you're done on on the inflation story. Well, I mean, it's Holtzman, Nagel, uh, Philip Lane, Christine Lagarde, the, a unified force in the ECB, mm. uh, talking about, you know, it's way too early to talk about cutting rates, although the market's not really believing them still, it seems. Uh, you mentioned uh, the value of the Chinese currency. So there were expectations of a rate cut by the PBOC for their midterm lending facility. That didn't happen. Presumably that is because they are worried about the, the impact that would have on the, the yuan, but also maybe, as we were discussing yesterday, perhaps they thought, well, it wouldn't make much difference anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the consensus was you know, pretty pretty clearly in favour of a rate cut yesterday. I think it you know, really reflects the fact that the PBOC are facing some pretty serious trade-offs. So you, know, you could easily, I think, mount the case for a, a cut yesterday. You know, they're, they're clearly dealing with deflationary pressure in, in the economy. Um, there might be an argument that you know, given the level of debt in in the economy, if you cut rates, you ease that debt repayment burden. Um, there's probably also an argument that goes beyond the cyclical, which is more to do with a structural decline in the natural rate of interest in in China. Um, and then I suspect also, you know, with the currency, things have changed, you know, a lot in the last couple of months in the sense that US rates have repriced considerably, now pricing in, you know, a pretty decent easing cycle from the Fed. Um, and then there's a, a sort of issue of well, what do you do with China? Do you, do you sort of keep cutting rates to to keep up with the Fed and therefore try and cap currency strength? Um, so you could argue that there's, there was a pretty compelling set of um, reasons to cut rates yesterday. But then I think also, you know, we know one of the big issues in China is probably the banking system at the moment. Um, and we know that they're dealing with, you know, rising bad debts and issues around the property sector. Um, and so one of the, I think one of the reasons not to do anything would have been the fact that if we cut rates again, that's going to put downward pressure on on banks' net interest margin, which is not good for, you know, profitability in an already challenged sector. So that would have been one thing. You know, another thing is that when you look at those short end rates in China, a lot of them are already at historical lows. So rates are, you know, pretty low um, in absolute terms. And then I think also you know, one thing policymakers probably reflected on is the transmission mechanism. So, you know, if your policy bias up to date, to date has all been about supporting investment and production, so the supply side of the economy, um, you know, cutting rates isn't really part of that story. So lots of trade-offs, I think, which are making it pretty difficult for the PBOC at the moment. Um, but, you know, the market is is sort of betting, continue to betting, you know, whether it's reserve ratio cuts or more lending rate cuts that, you know, these this easing will come through and, and that'll put a, a floor under growth and, you know, China's 
outlook this year will still be better than than it was last year. But, you know, I think what we're learning is that the authorities are, are still taking a pretty measured approach to all of this. Right. Now, today, consumer confidence numbers for Australia, last year was the second worst uh, year on record. Uh, it was below 100. It's been below 100 since March 2022. Uh, I can't see it leaping back in a hurry. Can you? And if it did, then that would fire up the RBA. So perhaps we don't want it to move back too quickly. Yeah. So there, there is some sort of anecdotal evidence at the moment that, you know, this talk of rate cuts, while it hasn't been sort of hugely, um, I guess, propagated here in Australia relative to some other countries, has started to encourage people back into the housing market. So there have been reports in the in the newspapers um, in the last week or so that, you know, open houses are starting to garner, you know, a fair bit of, um, you know, walk through traffic as people are, you know, keen to purchase as as rates come down. So, you know, if that's the, I guess, the mentality um, out there, then maybe it's quite possible that, you know, consumer sentiment lifts a little bit. But I think you're exactly right, Phil, you know, if the RBA senses that, um, you know, people's behaviour is changing because they expect materially lower rates sometime in 2024, that will push back against that pretty pretty hard. So I think possible to see confidence bounce in, in January, but like you said, it might be a, a short-lived bounce. Yeah, and are they just looking at the houses just to get into the air conditioning? You know, there's always that. <laughs> uh, look, uh, the New Zealand uh, quarterly survey of business opinion is out today, which is expected to lift a little. Uh, the BNZ uh, says basically most likely it's going to be a response to a change in government, but it's it's the capacity and inflation indica- indicators that really count in those numbers, so look out for those. Uh, UK Weekly Earnings uh, still expected to be around six point six percent. The uh, the three month average. This is excluding bonuses, which were down slightly from seven point three percent. I mean, there's still strikes going on in the UK, and as we said before, everyone is trying to get their wages back to pre pandemic levels. So they're probably not going to move down too quickly. And uh, Canada CPI is out tonight as well. The headline is expected to be up a little, but the core rate hopefully will come down. And this is going to be interesting, isn't it? Uh, Christopher Waller from the Fed is talking overnight tonight on monetary policy. Now, he is one of the hawkish men, more hawkish members of the Fed. And, of course, tail end of last year, he did a bit of a pivot, didn't he, and started talking about rate cuts. So is he going to backtrack a bit today? It's going to be interesting to see what angle he takes. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, since he spoke before the end of last year, they had an inflation number, which, um, you know, was... It's a disaster, but it was perhaps a little bit stronger than than the consensus had been looking for. So, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure um, that that probably on its own is not enough to change his view. But I guess it would just be an uncomfortable reminder that you know maybe um, you know things aren't going to sort of fall into place as easily as you know, they might they might like. Right, and in six or seven hours we get the results of the Iowa caucus as well. I <laughs> I've just seen a Trump promotional video uh, showing how he was created by God as God's caretaker, basically. So God seemed to be saying so God could devote more time to fighting Marxists. I, I, it's I, look, we are going to remain politically neutral through all of this, but it's going to be entertaining to watch, isn't it, to see <laughs> what he comes up with next. But I mean, that's going to be an interesting result. Although we know, don't we, Iowa, it's going to go to Trump. The question is. Will he manage to mm. pull it through the rest of the country? And will he be able to stand as well? I mean, all yep. those questions. All yet to be resolved, indeed. All yet to be resolved. Uh, well, good to have you back on. Welcome. Happy New Year, belatedly, Sally. We'll talk to you again soon. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Phil. And that is Tuesday morning's Morning Call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby, back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening in. I'll see you then. <laughs> 